Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Um, It's Revelation chapter six, verses one through eight. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Then the lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by wild beasts of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, why don't you stay standing? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much. We could gather here today and uh, learn about you, enjoy you. God, just thank you that your presence is here. And God, I pray that you'd open our ears right now in these next few moments, that we would hear what you would speak to us, Lord. Open our hearts, open our eyes, that we would see you for who you are in your love and in your power. God, I just invite you to have your way. Lord, use me, anoint my words, Lord, and uh, Lord, I just pray that these words that we look at, Lord, today would would motivate us to get closer to you, Lord, I pray. Lord, I know there's so many needs even right now uh, in this room, and we're just thankful that we can come to you for all these needs, Lord, that you love us, you care about us, and uh, Lord, I just want to pray for my friend Karen, who's in the hospital right now watching us. God, I pray for healing to her heart physically. Lord, we pray that you would restore health fully and completely to her, Lord. Encourage her and Jim right now, Lord. And all the needs that are represented here in this room, Lord, I pray, God, for your healing power to be here today. As you have done so many times today, Lord, I pray for your healing touch to be here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to go ahead and have a seat. So, hey, thanks again for those who helped in the work party. Several people helped uh, out throughout this last week here. Just appreciate all the help. You guys are awesome. And we got a little mini work party going tomorrow night. If you haven't been able to help us out, but you'd want to help us out, come and join us tomorrow night. Six o'clock is what we're looking at. Got a few other projects, a few other things we got to finish up that we weren't able to finish up. And so it'd be great for you to to join us. But isn't it fun to have church in a construction zone? Like there were things falling from the ceiling onto my table during first service. It was was awesome. Those of you that are online, you don't get to enjoy the, the, the full effect of this right here, but uh, we're glad that you're at least here with us online, and uh, we're just, we're, we're hanging out in a big cement room here and, and having fun. Uh, it doesn't matter what the room looks like, God's here, and God wants to do some things in our life. So we are going to have some fun talking today about t- this topic. Before we do, let me just say this. Tonight, Amy and I are starting something we are super, super, super excited about called Disciple Maker. So last call for Disciple Maker. If you're interested in being a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, uh, then let us know. We're launching that tonight. Last call. Revelation chapter six about, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was four horses. Did you catch that? Four horsemen. You ever heard the phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? That's where we're at right here. Okay. This is like even a famous popular 
uh, saying in culture even. People know or hear about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's the text that we're in today. Did you know this? Billy Graham actually wrote a book about this almost 40 years ago. It was called Approaching Hoofbeats, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And this is what he wrote almost 40 years ago from Billy Graham, the man himself. Some theologians and Bible scholars have thought that these scenes as described by the Apostle John to be described uh, a description of past events. However, most evangelical scholars interpret them as having to do with the future, as do I. In my view, the shadows of all four horsemen can already be seen galloping through the world at this very moment. Therefore, I want not only to apply these four symbols of events yet to come, but also for us to pull, put our, our ears lower to the ground and hear their hoofbeats growing louder by the day. I can hear the hoofbeats of these horses much louder than when I first began to write this book. So Billy Graham said that almost 40 years ago, and I think if he could say that 40 years ago, then how much louder are they now? How much closer are we now? So we're going to talk about who the four horsemen of the apocalypse are. What is their significance? But before we do, let's go back to chapter 5. And let's just look at one verse to remind ourselves of what we're looking at here and what's going on. Revelation 5, verse 1, John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And so John, as you read through chapter 5, realizes that scroll is very significant. And goes on to describe nobody was found in, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Nobody was found that is worthy to open the scroll, which is a fascinating thought when you think about. Because think of all the people who are in heaven. I mean, you've got Moses and Abraham. You've got Enoch, who didn't even die. God just took him. Same with Elijah. And, and you even got most of the 12 disciples that are already there. You even got like angels like Gabriel and Michael. All of these people are there. Nobody is worthy to open this scroll. And John begins to cry because he knows this scroll must be open. It's a very emotional scene that we see in, in Revelation chapter 5. And so now we get to, to chapter 6. Verse 1 is when Jesus, the lion lamb, remember the lion and the lamb, he is both. He's the only one who's worthy. And so he's the one who can take the scroll from the Father and he can open the scroll. And so verse 1 is him beginning to open the scroll. And so here we go. Revelation chapter 6 all the way to chapter 20 is what some would say is the weird part of Revelation. Or some might say it's the scary part. Or some would also say this is the cool. Now we're getting to the good stuff. All right, here we go. All the other stuff can tend to be easier to understand than these 15 chapters. So we're going to have some fun. I don't know how long we're going to take going through these 15 chapters. I'm still wrestling through that, but I will be honest and say these 15 chapters pose some challenges for us. There's some interpretation challenges, and it's possible that some of this is specifically meant for the first century church as they're facing major persecution against the Roman Empire or from the Roman Empire. And so that is very, very possible, very, very probable, probable uh, interpretation. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm I'm really studying through my eschatology again, the study of end times, just really wrestling through all the different sides and different perspectives of what people believe. Some people believe that we are already in the millennium. Some people believe, which we'll talk about later if you've never heard of that term. Uh, some people believe that the, that, that the rapture, where Jesus comes to take his, his people away, is going to happen before the tribulation starts. Some people believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some people think it's going to happen after the tribulation. There's people all over the place. And so I'm having fun just kind of exploring and studying this all uh, again. And to be fair, there are smart people on all those spectrums. And, and I, it doesn't really matter what you believe in any of those things. Because people on all those spectrums are going to make it to heaven. All that matters is Jesus. So what I like to say is why Jesus is coming back is more important than how and when Jesus is coming back. So we will talk about the, the how he's coming back. And that's kind of fun to debate and discuss and, and, and look at. It's like when he's coming back, we don't know. We talked about that last week, right? Taylor gave a great message for us last week. Really appreciate Taylor. Shout out to Taylor, who's, I think, outside in the... In the 
out there listening from the outside on the patio out there. A great message, really enjoyed that, but talked about how, like Jesus even himself said, I don't know when this is going to happen, only the Father knows. And so we cannot put a date on this, but Jesus did give us some signs, right? Some clues. When these things happen, then you know this is the beginning of birth pains, and that means the end is getting close. But don't worry about that. Don't stress, Jesus said. So uh, great message. We don't know when he's coming back, though. So let's not put a date on it. Let's not get caught up in the when. Let's, we're we're going to talk about the how and have fun with that, but we don't, we don't want to get fixated on that. Why Jesus com- is coming back is the most important thing. Which, why is he coming back? He is coming back to restore humanity, us, back to our original design. He is coming back to restore this earth, back to its original design. Like, we think it's good now. Wait until you get into eternity with Jesus and what he has planned for you. It's kind of similar. This illustration falls apart a little bit. But when you show up back here next week, this place is going to look better and feel better. Like, oh, wow. But right now, it's kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool. This is the in-between stage. You know, it's got a fun construction zone. You can see new carpet already installed up here, which is looking good. The rest of the flooring is going to come in. And so it's kind of like this. We're, we're already there, but not yet kind of a thing. And it's just it, it, we're in between. We could get caught up and like, oh, this is great. This is good. Uh, but next week when you show up, we're like, oh, wow, this is even better. I think in a similar way, that's what's going to happen. Like we can get so fixated on our life right now. We think this is awesome. Yeah, there's some tough things or stressful things we don't like. But like, how could it get any better than this? And we just are fascinated with this life and this world, but what what Jesus has for you in the future is far greater than anything you could ever dream of, guys. And all the stresses, all the worries, all the heartache, all the pain, everything you've gone through, it will be worth it if you stay faithful to Jesus in the end. It'll be so worth it, friends. So why he's coming back is to restore everything, to make everything new the way he intended it to be. But still, we're going to have some fun wrestling through the different interpretations of how this is all going to take place. And I don't think, I mean, it's possible that there is a perfect way to interpret all of these prophecies of the end times. And so maybe somebody, one of us, somebody has like, they've figured it all out, but it's possible that none of us have it all figured out because it isn't exactly laid out. Okay, so let's be real, let's be straight. And it's kind of us being honest and humble about our opinions and all this. Because these are secondary theological issues. They're open-handed issues, what we call them. Closed-handed issues center on the gospel. Uh, You know, God created you and I in his image, but we rebelled. We sinned. We broke that relationship. We broke perfection. Uh, So through sin, curse entered, death entered, disease, all of that. Jesus came and redeemed us. He died on the cross. He didn't sin, but he took the penalty of our sin, death, on himself. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he is God and he is trustworthy. And so when we believe in him, then our life is restored. We're reconciled back to our creator, to God. And we begin a relationship with him that begins today and lasts forever. And we make him the king of our life. And we live uh, as a part of his kingdom, making sure he's king. So that's the gospel in a nutshell. And, And so there's certain theological close handed issues like that that center on Jesus and the gospel that we we don't debate There's salvation issues. Then there's other things that aren't really salvation issues. They're secondary or they're like open-handed issues. And so I would say if you believe in a post-rapture or a post-tribulation rapture does not mean you are going to hell. It's okay. Okay, we're just going to leave all this up to interpretation. Uh, You know, there is a danger. Uh, I won't won't go there. Okay, that's that's later. That's later rapture stuff. We'll talk a little bit of rapture today, which will kind of wet some of your appetite for like, I want to talk more about this rapture thing, okay? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. When you read through Revelation, you see a lot of echoes from the, the prophets Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. It is eerily similar because these guys already were prophesying end times. End times is all over Old Testament, guys. I think this is a a part of why Jesus is coming and revealing this to John. And in fact, I believe that John was probably studying all this text. He was immersed in the prophecy text. He's just meditating on it. Uh, He's studying it. He's probably, as he's stuck on this island because he's basically arrested and thrown on this island, he's probably just eagerly anticipating the day of 
the Lord's return and saying, okay, Jesus, are you coming? Are you ready? This is it. So he's studying all this. Is it, is it going to happen now? And as he's immersed in all of these prophecies, he begins to see and experience very similar things. The visions that he have line up with Old Testament visions. It's fascinating how similar they are. I think that, that God is using John to make sure that the Christian faith is connected with the Old Testament prophets, that they, are, they, they all matter. And so it's very important, especially for a first century church, because they could have just thrown out Old Te- all, that prophecy, all, all that Old Testament stuff and it's all Jesus, all Jesus, all Jesus, but both matter. And so I'll be honest and say, I'm really wrestling through where I'm at with all this eschatology study, the end times thing. And I think that's okay. I would, I, I'm looking at this again with fresh eyes, trying to really dive deep into all of this. And so because of that, I'm kind of all over the place. But uh, I, I'm enjoying studying this. And as I do, I don't get the impression that these next 15 chapters are meant to be an exact chronological timeline. I think there is some timeline things in there. It seems like, you know, this happens and then this happens. You kind of see some of that. But you kind of get this impression that John... So what happens, in these, especially the next several chapters, is we see these seven seals broken. And through these seven seals, as they're opened, as the lamb opens the scroll... They release wrath, and you know, this wrath, and this wrath, and this wrath. And that, that seven seals leads to the seven trumpets. And it's the seven trumpet judgments. And then that last, that seventh trumpet blasts, and that opens up us, us up to the seven bowl judgments. And so you got three sets of seven. It's just fascinating. But I get this, this image of John is seeing all these things take place and it's not then this happens and this happens and this and then it has to be this and then this and this. It's kind of like this is going on and this is going on and this is, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, I love what N.T. Wright said about this. He says, it's an exposition of a sevenfold reality. And so it's as if John is getting deeper and deeper into the vision, really. It's not in a sense about this has to happen first and then this, but it's kind of going deeper into what's going on spiritually, and what he sees, he sees things that are going on on earth, and then he sees things that are in heaven, and the things that are going on on earth, and it's kind of back and forth. It's kind of fascinating. But it all centers around wrath and judgment, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, if you, if you were here for that and you heard that message, which is something we don't like to think about. We can struggle with that, can't we? N.T. Wright, he said this. He said, it's not what we wanted to hear, just as the news from the doctor or the pastor may not be what we wanted to hear, but it is what we must hear if the world is to be healed. So maybe you've, you've received that, that news, like the doctor says this, this is what's going on, so we have to do this to treat this so we can see healing. Maybe you've had a conversation with the pastor before. Okay, here's some truth that you need to receive so that you can be set free from something in your life. Okay, so it's kind of like that. The, the ultimate goal of Revelation we see the heart of God all through this is that Jesus is coming back not to condemn the world, not to destroy the world and wipe out mankind and the earth, but to renew and redeem the world. That is why he is coming. So I'm going to approach these, these verses, especially today, and probably the next however many weeks we spend on these 15 chapters, I'm going to approach them from, from the perspective of this, that this seems to be, from my humble opinion, the beginning of what is called the tribulation. Verse 1, chapter 6, seems to be the, 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 the opening of this first scroll, seems to be when the tribulation begins. And I have reasons for that, which we will talk about uh, in other weeks. But let's go there right now. Let's look at this. Verse 1, I watched... As the lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a a voice like thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So let's talk about the first horseman of the apocalypse. This horseman, at the very least represents a demonic counterfeit of Christ. Some believe it might be representative of the Roman Empire, which is very likely in what the Roman Empire was doing to Christians. Um, some even have said, well, maybe it's Jesus. Because like, he's riding on a what color horse? It's a white horse. Like The good guy always comes on a white horse, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. 
It's always that way in the stories and in the movies. So it has to be Jesus. <laughs> but this first horseman, I believe, represents the Antichrist. This represents someone who comes to pretend to be Jesus, a Messiah, Messiah-like person. And so when you see Jesus coming in Revelation 19, you can obviously see that that's Jesus. This isn't obvious, so it's kind of like white horse. Oh, is it Jesus? No, no. You read Revelation 19? Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. So this right here seems to be a counterfeit. This is very likely representative of the Antichrist. Anti obviously means against, but it also means instead of. So this person is trying to become a God instead of the one true God. This person is not just against Jesus, but trying to replace Jesus. It's the Antichrist. And so what we see here is the Antichrist has a bow without arrows. When Jesus comes, he's going to have a mighty sword. The Antichrist is actually given a victor's crown. He's given this crown, but Jesus is going to come in 19 of Revelation with many crowns. The Antichrist here initiates war. Jesus comes in the end to end war. So the Antichrist really inaugurates the tribulation here. Jesus is going to come to end the tribulation period. So these 15 chapters seem to represent this seven-year period of the end times that we call the tribulation, which leads us to one of the big questions of Revelation. It's the one that always comes up. Someone has to ask this. If I were to pass the mic around in different weeks, this would be undoubtedly one of the first questions that one of you would ask. (laughs) Who is the Antichrist? Who is he? Is he a person? And the answer would be yes. He is a human being. Real person. There's many titles for the Antichrist, as you see in Old Testament prophecy and in Revelation Man of sin, son of perdition, little horn, wicked one, prince who is to come, the one who makes desolate the beast. We could go on several more. But he is not what many people will expect. He will be very charming, very uh, enticing, charismatic, smooth, convincing, engaging. Like he will come, and people won't even realize that he has a mask on, but he will eventually be the most evil man that ever lived. So some then follow up that question with, well, is he alive right now? Because I really want to know. Great question. And the answer to that is, we don't know. It all really depends on how close we are to the end, which, by the way, we could be very close. It is very possible. We are very close. If we're five, 10 years, even 20 years away from the end when Jesus is going to come back and grab his church, then yes, the Antichrist is alive. Yet we don't know who he is. I've heard lots of fun speculations through the years of people claiming that a certain U.S. president has to be the Antichrist. (laughs) Biblically, that is very inaccurate. The Antichrist will not come from the United States, guys, okay? So... I'm sorry to burst some of your bubble there. It's not going to (laughs) happen. We do know this. And and there's a lot of clues. We'll know uh, geographically where he's going to come from. Uh, But he will rise up at intense economic times. Uh, The world will be needing major peace, needing economic security. And so someone will rise up. That will be held as a hero. Here is someone that can bring peace, not just to a region, but to the world. He will be considered the greatest peacemaker we have ever seen. Yet Daniel says this about the Antichrist. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. You see, the world won't realize how evil he is until it's too late. It'll happen later when that mask comes off and people see the Antichrist for his true colors. It's kind of similar to what took place about 90 years ago in Germany. And if you're a student of history, you know that people loved Hitler. Like, he rose to power in war-torn Germany right after World War I, 
and they needed leadership. They needed someone that could bring them together and, 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 and promise peace and security. And Hitler was that guy. And so people are like, yes, they loved Hitler. He had even convinced, especially in the early years, most of the church, most of the Christians that he was a good guy. That he came to bring peace and he tried building relationships even with the church. There was leaders in Europe that, that thought he was a guy that they could trust and would bring peace to the world. Like he convinced and deceived a lot of people. And his true colors kind of came out. It's as if the spirit of the Antichrist almost rose to power through Hitler, but the Holy Spirit said, not yet. So that already has already kind of happened. You can see when, when the world, I mean, think about 2020, how chaotic and crazy and stressful. It just, like, people were looking for help and leadership, and, 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 and it'll be even worse than what we experienced in 2020. And when someone rises up that says, I can lead us to peace and economic security and all this, and, and people are going to rally behind that because it, the times will be so desperate, guys. And so we can already see with how we've experienced life in the last couple of years of how it's possible, right? So let me just say this, because... I think it's important we don't spend too much time on Antichrist, although we will talk about him again. But don't try to figure out who he is and debate and study all this. It's this guy, you know. Okay, so don't put your focus on Antichrist. Put your focus on Jesus Christ. That's, that's our focus. Okay, and, and, and <laughs> I would even say this, too. Uh, if you find out who the Antichrist really is, according to my current eschatological stance, you have missed the rapture. And it's too late. So let's focus on Jesus and let's make sure we're right with him when we're following him and that we get caught up in the air with him. All right. So here we go. That's horse number one. That's the white horse, which really represents deception. Probably representative of the Antichrist, but represents deception. Now let's look at horse number two, verse three. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Horse number two is a red horse. Fiery red horse is what it says. This horse represents war. You can see the peace that the first horseman promises doesn't last long. War takes place. So the Antichrist is going to come and promise peace, but eventually he's going to plunge the world into a devastating war. Uh, peace won't last. And so this is the red horse, the fiery red horse. Red is, is a symbol in Revelation, especially of death and carnage and destruction. We'll see the red beast rising up later on. And so that, that's this horse. It's the horse of, of war. This war, this rider on the war horse is holding a, a big sword, so that represents war. What's interesting is that the first horseman had a bow with no arrows, which kind of represents deception again. Uh, so when you look at these first two horses, you kind of see some similarities between what we looked at last week when, when Taylor talked through Matthew chapter 24, which is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus said, hey, in the end, this is what you're going to see. Uh, people are going to try to imitate me and be like me. They're going to say, I'm here. here here's the Messiah. Uh, don't listen to them. Don't trust them. And then you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, which is eerily similar to the first two horses here. Someone's going to come and say, I'm, I'm the Messiah. Pretend to be the Messiah. Pretend to be God. And then there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Kind of interesting. People would say, well, there's always been wars, though. So, like, it's not too hard to predict wars and rumors of wars. Like, I could prophesy that right now, and I'm a true prophet, because yes, that's happening, right? Uh, and it's true. Like ever since mankind, you know, came together and created civilizations and cities and countries and people groups, we've always figured out a way, unfortunately, to kill each other. Wars have always happened. Most of our history hasn't been peaceful. Did you know that? Uh, of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them. 8% of recorded history. So this is relevant for us today, especially in light of where we are at in world history. We are at a place where in less than one hour, we could destroy the whole world because of our nuclear weapons. 
Which, by the way, I love that story that Taylor shared last week of Petrov dude, whatever that was. I had actually never heard that. That's fascinating, you know, just kind of interesting. But did you know that the U.S. has 5,550 nuclear warheads currently, right now? Each of these warheads has 460 million tons of TNT. One of these warheads is said to be 35 times more powerful than the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. And that's just the United States. There are now nine countries in the world that have nuclear capability. So uh, 90% of the nuclear warheads in the world belong to two countries, United States and Russia. And so this is why a lot of people are kind of uh, worried about what's going on right now. What are we going to see? What's happening? This whole Ukraine thing, this is a big uh, discussion. It's a big question right now. What's the big deal or the significance of the Ukraine situation? Is this in Bible prophecy? Is this part of the end times? And so let's address that right now just for a few moments. And my answer would be this. It could be, but we don't know yet. It is possible, but we can't say 100% for certain that, yes, this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled through your eyes. It all depends on how things play out and how things continue to go in the coming months and years. But it's kind of got us alarmed because it's Russia and also because this is war on a bigger scale than we've seen in a while. And, and it's just wrong. It's evil and all of that. So we're praying for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. We're praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia too, guys. There are, there are Christians and pastors that are be, trying to be a voice of reason within their country right now, just so you know. And so, and, and some of you don't know this, but if you were here last fall at one of our 9 a.m. services, we had a pastor from Russia that was here. And uh, he's a friend of, of one of my pastors, Pastor Tim Daly, who will preach here occasionally. And so I called him up here and he prayed over us at the end of our service. Well, he is in Russia, pastoring his congregation right now in a country that's at war. Which, yeah, anyways, uh, we, we got brothers and sisters that are there, guys. We need to pray for them. And so there are a lot of scholars and in, in prophecy guys that will say, if you, if you listen to these guys, they'll say, Magog that is going to invade Israel in the last days, in the end times, is modern day Russia. Now this is an interesting debate because if you listen to prophecy guys, they all are definitive about Magog's Russia. But if you look at Bible scholars and Bible dictionaries and all that kind of stuff, Magog is actually Turkey and Syria, where we have modern day Turkey and Syria. So the argument is, well, the descendants of those people in that region did move north into Russia, and so they could be considered Magog, which is true. I mean, so in that sense, if you want to interpret it as those are the descendants of that, then it's possible God could consider that that is part of Magog. But it's, it's not 100% definitive, I guess is my point, right? It depends on how you want to interpret who Magog really is. Is it the literal where it was, or is it the descendants of that? And if we, can, if we count descendants of that, then we got to count descendants of everybody that's mentioned in the end times. And where did all those people land on their earth, you know, and all that. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And so um, it is possible. We don't know. Magog could be Russia, but it could not be. Um, if it is, that's why some of us are kind of like, okay, is this Magog on the move beginning to usher end times prophecies? It all depends on how things plays out. Now, if they move into Turkey and Syria, they take over them, they partner with them, or they gather their armies, and then they start going further south, and they, you know, the end times prophecies talk about and an Gog of Magog marching from the north, invading Israel. When that happens, then you'll know, okay, biblical prophecy, it's on. Okay, so that's, that's what we need to pay attention. When armies begin to invade Israel, that's when we know, here we go. This is it. Okay, so that's my take on the Ukraine situation. It's not something, guys, just like Jesus told us in his own words, it's not something we need to worry about, but we do need to, I think, pray about this. And the, the, the truth is uh, two things. Number one, Jesus is coming back. Number two, let's be ready. Let's be ready for when he comes back. That's what really matters in the end, right? How this all plays out, you know, we can have fun with that based upon your personality and all that, but... Let's focus on Jesus, okay? All right, here we go. Verse five. Let's look at the third horse. The third horseman of the apocalypse. Um, yeah, verse five. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. 
And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So here we have horse number three. This is the black horse represents famine. A famine that is going to take over uh, the earth and the population of the earth like no famine we have ever seen before. And it's, again, it's just devastating. Um, but here's the deal, guys. Famine's not a new thing. It's not just an end times thing. Famine is happening right now. And so I, I mention that because I think it's important for believers in Jesus to pay attention of what's already going on in the world. One in nine people currently go to bed hungry on our planet. One in nine. And so those of us that are privileged, that are blessed, what are we going to do about that? How, how can we make a difference now? And not just like, hey, whatever happens, happens for them. You know, I think there's things that we, Jesus even said, whatever you do for the least of these, you feed them, you give to them, you've done for me. And so there's a mandate from Jesus himself to, to love, to serve, to give. Today in the world, there are 800 million at least that are chronically malnourished, which means they don't have enough food to live a healthy life. 800 million, that's, a, that's almost a billion people, guys. One in nine go to bed hungry, like I mentioned. Malnutrition today kills more than AIDS, TB, and malaria combined. And malnutrition is something that we can actually help with. In fact, if you've ever looked into the digital program, you'll notice at the very top, some of you have never looked at the digital program. So that's my little plug to go to the digital program. But at the top, there's this organization called Feed One. And through our church right now, we sponsor about 45 kids every month through Feed One. It's kind of cool. So if you want to click that link, and, and I think the link still works. If it doesn't work, uh, let me know because we need to make sure that that works. But I think it still works. And uh, then you can sign up to, for $10 a month, feed a kid. And you can do several kids if you want. And then if you do it through that specific link in our digital program, it connects you to our group. And then we know out of our church how many kids we're actually uh, supporting and helping. So right now it's about 45, which is super cool. But if you want to help kids have food every month, that's an easy way to do it. Now, Feed One's different from other groups like this because you can't adopt a specific child. But that's why it's only $10 a month. It's cheaper because you can't do the specific children. But what I love about Feed One is they don't just give them food all month long. They actually teach them how to grow food, how to grow a garden. They're helping families grow gardens so they can take care of themselves, not just for a day, but for years to come and train their kids and their grandkids and how to grow gardens. So Feed One's a great organization that's not just giving fish. It's actually teaching people how to fish. And so I highly recommend Feed One. Amy and I support two kids out of Feed One every month. And if you want to be a part of, of doing that, just click that link in there. But it's just something practically we can do today in light of there is already major need in our world, guys. Amen. So let's look at the fourth horse of the apocalypse. Verse 7. Here we go. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. Some of you, if you're looking at your own Bible or other translation in your digital device, it might say, Come and see. Come and see. And so the fourth living creature is now calling out to John again. Hey, come and check this out. If I were John, I'd be like, I've seen enough. Okay, I, this is, it's bad. I get it. Okay, no more. But he says, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Oh, sorry, I jumped up. I looked, they all say the same thing for a sentence. And there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So we have the pale horse there. The Greek word there is chloros, which probably means pale green horse there, which represents death. It's the horse of death. Death here, and we got Hades following. You know, it's like death and hell riding together. This is not a pretty picture. It has the capacity to take out one quarter of the earth. One quarter of the entire population will die as this takes place, which is almost 2 billion people. It's like about 1.9 billion people will happen through all of this. So those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is, again, 
a part of this prophetic literature in Revelation that we are walking through. And prophetic literature is very important for us. So much of Bible prophecy has already been filled. Fulfilled is the right word, right? We have seen even Jesus himself fulfill so much prophecy. So I say that to say you can trust these words. However it looks, however it plays out, whatever this really, really means, it's going to happen, guys. The end will come. And we can trust all these words of prophecy because of who Jesus is and because of what he has said and because of what he has already done. Did you know that Jesus has already fulfilled over 300 prophecies? Alone, over 300 prophecies. Someone did the math once and said for him to fulfill even eight of those 300 prophecies plus is that number right there. One in that number, which is 100 quadrillion. Okay, that is greater than your odds of picking a perfect bracket for March Madness, which I looked up is like one in nine quadrillion or something like that. It's like, okay, so like the odds of picking a perfect bracket in March are mathematically almost impossible. Exponentially beyond that is the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the already 300 that he's fulfilled, guys. So that means this is very significant. We must, people must, pay attention to who Jesus is and what he did. And when you look that deep and that close, you realize this is someone I cannot ignore. I must look to Jesus and in the end, my encouragement is you put your trust in Jesus. He is coming back. I'm as sure as that as you can see me standing in front of you right now. Jesus is coming back. Last spring, we were going through this series here called God's Plan. And I was talking about how God speaks to us and how he uh, unveils his will for us in our life. I just love that series. I kind of admitted how I like I love it when God speaks to me or gives me a dream or a vision. It doesn't always happen, but I always pray for it. God, would you, like, when I go to bed tonight, I pray this a lot. Would you, like, speak to me through a dream? That'd be awesome. God, give me visions. Give me dreams. I love it when God gives me words for people. For some of you that are really gifted at that, that happens more than it happens for me. Uh, but I always pray for that, and I always want to step out in that. And so last May, during that series, I actually had a dream that I haven't shared with anybody, and I'd only shared it with Amy, like, two weeks ago. Um, but I, I was pondering like what God wanted me to do with it. But it was this fascinating dream that, that I had. In my dream, every, there's a whole bunch of people all around me. And they were all singing a song. And as I listened, they're all singing the same song. And it was the same two lines that I heard over and over and over and over again. I wish I could remember the tune and how it went. But this is what they were singing. They were singing, the beginning of the end and the end is near. The beginning of the end and the end was near. And it kept going over and over and over again. And instantly I woke up and my eyes were open. It was one of those moments where I was like, whoa, <laughs> the beginning of the end. And so I journaled it. That's how I remember it. I actually forgot about it for a few months until I went back in my journal and was reading about it. And God used that to encourage me that, yes, you need to dive into this series through Revelation because I was a little bit nervous to do this, to be honest. It's kind of a, a, an ominous task to walk through Revelation. So I felt like God was saying, you need to lean into this because time is of the essence. And Jesus was using that to remind me he is coming back and he is coming back soon, friends. And some of us would pray, let it be now, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready, come today. And it will happen just like that, friends. It could happen this week. It could happen next year. It could happen in a couple of years. We don't know. But there are things in motion right now on this planet that show us that it is nearer than it has ever, ever been. And so, again, it's important that we know he is coming back. Jesus himself told us that. I'm coming back over and over again. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then I'm coming back for you. So make sure you're ready when he does. It's so important. Here's, here's what we know, guys. There will be a tribulation. It will happen. It is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you begin to study this, you're just fascinated by how much end time stuff is spoken to all throughout Scripture. In fact, it said there's only two other subjects addressed more in the Bible than tribulation. 
salvation and the second coming of Christ. (laughs) Uh, Totality as far as subjects go. So the tribulation is going to happen and it's going to be bad. We have a dark ages in our history. We call, you know, that was the dark ages. This will be the darkest of darkest of ages. I mean, we've had some bad things happen. You know, we alluded to Hitler, World War II, even World War I, uh, Holocaust, even dropping of the bomb in Hiroshima. I mean, there's so many things in history, guys, that we could go back and say, bad, horrible, horrific, evil, so many things. This will be the worst. I mean, it will all pale in comparison to the tribulation. Daniel said this of the tribulation. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Jeremiah said, in all history, there's never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel, yet in the end, they will be saved. Jesus said this, Matthew 24. We looked at that last week. Look at it again. For there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Which is why a lot of scholars would say it's why it's only seven years. This tribulation seems to last just for a seven-year period. There will be a tribulation, friends, and there will be a rapture. Both of those will take place. We'll talk more about those and, and my thoughts on when and all that kind of stuff in later weeks, which I know will interest many, many of you. Uh, but let me just say this. I believe that prophecy was not given to scare us, to, but to prepare us. And so I speak these words to us, not just so we can grow intellectually and understand information about eschatological things within Scripture, but so that we can be prepared and ready for Jesus is coming back. He is coming. And I want to make sure you're ready. It is going to be amazing. It'll be far greater than you could ever dream of or anticipate or imagine, friends. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus. And so what must we do? I think we need to live in light of that reality. Live every day with this thought that, you know what, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to make sure I live in light of that truth today. It's an eternal perspective because we can get caught up in the, in the here and now and all the stresses and all the worries. And, and, and there's so many things in life that we can enjoy. I think that is very biblical too. Enjoy life. Live it to the fullest. But let's not get caught up on things. Let's make sure that Jesus is our king and that his mission and his calling and his will for our life is of the utmost importance. And so what is his will for your life? What is his calling for your life? It's to know him and to make him known. It's that simple. To know him and to make him known. And I pray that God would use you to make him known to other people. I pray that God would use us in this community, what God is doing here as he does a new thing to bring more people into salvation so they can spend an eternity with not just us, with Jesus, because that's what matters about eternity. And so I pray that there'd be a stirring in our hearts as we continue to walk through this of like, oh, shoot, time is short. Here we go. I, I, I just want to live in the center of your will. I, I, I just want to be intentional. I'm going to live this, with this eternal perspective. I'm going to live today in light of Jesus is coming back. He could come back sooner than I even think. So here I go. I'm making the most of today. Let's live that way, guys. As you know, last week, someone came in and, and hung out with us right here in one of the services. I'm not sure which one she went to. But with the first-time guests... The typical protocol for me or, or Pastor Rachel is we'll, we'll send them a card. And so some of you, maybe you've gotten a card from us, uh, you know, when you first visited. And so I couldn't find the cards because our building is all disarray. Like office was all over the place this week. And so I have no idea where the cards are. But thankfully, I found the Connect cards. And uh, she had an email address. And so I decided I was going to email her instead of mailing a card. So I emailed her and I said, hey, thanks for coming. Love to send you a Dutch Bros gift card if you didn't get that. And so she replied back, oh, thank you so much. So nice of you. I'm good. I don't need a Dutch Bros gift card and I probably won't be coming back. Um, I enjoyed it. You're nice people and all, but I'm just not sure about this Jesus thing. And so I'm just going to keep exploring the universe looking for my answers. 
And so I thought that's a very interesting response. And I really appreciated her honesty. It's like, wow, she's just like, this is where I'm at. I probably won't be back. And so I replied back to her. I was just praying about that. And I replied back to her and I said, oh, you know, we would welcome you anytime. Like we love people who don't even believe in God. They just want to come and just explore this Jesus thing. And just, you don't have to believe what we believe just to come and hang out with us. We'd love to have you. Or if you want to get together for coffee, Amy and I would love to meet you. We can just hear your story. Uh, so, so let me know. And so she replied back, very nice, very respectful. Um, she's like, no, I, I'm good. I don't really have a story. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and find my answers in the universe. And so my church, I'm trying to remember the exact words, but it's like in my church is I'm going to keep going to the clubs and I'm going to listen to the message from the DJs. And that's going to be my church. And so my honest response, guys, in my heart was no judgment because that's where a lot of people are. No judgment, but my heart breaks because somebody gathered with us and they left feeling like God is not the answer for them. And so they're going to keep searching and they're going to keep looking elsewhere at the clubs, all this. And this, is, this, this story is told many, many times in so many people, guys. We have friends and family like this. I pray that this would be a place as people come the presence of God is so real that they can't not ignore that he is so real and he loves them so much. You know, maybe she felt the presence of God, but she just kind of resisted it and wants to just kind of do her own thing. That is very possible. I loved her honesty. It's so amazing, but my heart broke for her because she is missing out on Jesus. And I pray that people would find Jesus through our church and through your life as well. Would you stand, guys? We're going to pray. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.